Are you a hybrid athlete who wants to learn more about how to combine your strength and endurance training? Well, I've written a new book, The Science of Hybrid Training. In this book, I provide insight into the misconceptions surrounding strength and endurance training by distilling the past 50 years of research and drawing on the conversations I had with great scientists, coaches, and athletes on the Progress Theory podcast. This book is essential reading for hybrid athletes and coaches who are looking to understand the key training variables and their effect on the simultaneous development of strength and endurance performance. Get your copy now, available to buy from Amazon. Now, let's get into the show. Podcasters, welcome back. Phil Price here, and this is the Progress Theory Podcast, where in today's episode, we're back at episode 2.4, where Daryl Green and I will be discussing our challenge, the concurrent training challenge, where we are training to increase strength and train for a four-hour marathon at the same time. It's back to the sports science this time, and this time we're looking at how to improve marathon performance. Now, I need to refer you back to a previous episode in series one, where Freddie and I looked at the determinants of running performance when we were doing the 5 and 10k challenge. This time, Darren and I do the same thing, but we're doing it for marathon performance. So what are the key determinants of marathon performance? So if you're thinking about doing your first marathon, or you're an experienced marathon runner, or you're just curious as to know what are the key physical qualities do top marathon runners possess, then this is the episode for you. So as always, please sit back and enjoy our podcast episode. Follow us on Instagram at progress underscore theory underscore. Follow us on YouTube and join the journey. course of course so today how are we doing phil yeah we're good we're good right it's right the 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 training for this challenge has actually been quite tough and a lot of it has been around trying to fit everything in work like i've shifted everything to like okay i've got an hour free what can i get out of my training based on everything that i'd pre-planned that I know is necessary to get the minimum dose out of the training to improve me um, and for some reason because it's so specific I just feel like it's been like so focused and that's made it feel a bit harder whereas sometimes you're kind of training for fun now it's like no I've got to just do this this and this um, which is fine but I can imagine like if you did that for an entire year that can be really really tough Oh yeah, I remember like during the week we were messaging each other, weren't we, saying about how tough it's getting. Um, and yeah, I think it does come down to it being so precise what we've got to do. You can't. There's not really, and we don't really have chance or time to to deviate mm. and go and have a little bit of fun training with anyone else. Or and on top of that, like a lockdown and it's it's. it's so we we are we're doing it on our own as well, which is also um, yeah. Which also makes on your own, lockdown measures have made it tougher, and yeah. right, just to, just in general, it's very much pre-competition phase rather than off-season. And I think <laughs> yeah. because people want to enjoy their their training so much, they just love staying in that off-season type of mentality when it comes to training. Um, yeah, I, and oh yeah, I guess the this is this is exactly why because it gets gets hard. Not some, not even, um, not even too physically. Like I don't think it's a lot of uh, the psychological yeah. stress and yeah. pressure that you we put. Well, I know that I've put on myself, and or that it, you've got. It's also that with this short period of time, like trying to manage that stress as much as any physical and physiological stress that we're putting on our bodies is quite mm-hmm. also a very important part of this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember when during the previous challenge with the, the 5k in 20 minutes, ultimately 
like I was getting really stressed towards the end of that training block leading up to the challenge, just because um, I'd set a goal that was really high and I didn't know if it was attainable, but I thought, screw it, let's just go for it. And the closer you get towards that challenge date, you start to realize, oh, okay, um, <laughs> I probably need a bit more time. And then you're like, oh crap, because you know I'm publishing this for everyone to see. <laughs> so the 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 pressure of letting people down because you think what you've the goal you've set for yourself is just a bit far ahead of you uh, for the time that you've given yourself is really hard to deal with. And now we're in that same time period when it comes to this particular challenge. Uh, And because this challenge is so multifaceted, like I'm confident in some areas and then less confidence in other areas, but it still brings the same pressure and it still brings the same stress with it. So I don't know, every time we do a challenge, I think I'm going to go through this process each time. So maybe once we get like four or five in, I might be used to it. And it's like, nah, I don't care. Just going to go (laughs) full out. Yeah, I mean, it's got a, it's got a meet up to the word, right? Challenge. It has to be. It has to be a challenge. You can't. Exactly. You can't. You could have just said, "Yeah, I want to add," or even equal your strength numbers that you put out. If you, that would still be, we'd almost still achieved what we want to show that you can train concurrently, and if you do it right, you can achieve whether you've added a kilo on or even matched it, but you've been able to run a marathon at the same time. That's, mm. I think is pretty, pretty, that, that's a good sign of a success there. Mm. Um, Life PB. We've, yeah. We've gone and put a, put a number on it. And, and because we've done that, we want to aim for that. I mean, showing just any improvement is going to be good, but on ourselves, we want to, and any and anyone listening will probably be like, well, he, he's done better. Like he's, he's, he's done it. Like, but I, I know for me, it'd be like, if I don't meet, make this 120 snatch, it's like, well, yeah. I failed that challenge. Um, just on a personal level, not as in on what we're trying to show that can be achieved, but on a personal yeah, yeah. level, I'd be like, no, I've, I haven't, I haven't achieved it there. Mm. But in essence, we, if I've improved from initial testing, then I have. Yeah, if, yeah, if yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, the goal was to improve, and we are going to improve. I think I'm actually very confident with that. But at the yeah. same time, you then set a really high goal, <laughs> and then everything sort of focused around that. Um, I guess that's one of the reasons why I I chose. Uh, I chose the strength exercises to improve by 10% because we, hmm. you know, I didn't want to hit a specific load because I just wasn't, I think it's too hard to predict, especially with the strength numbers to, um, I reckon I could get to that level and this space of time. I think it's too hard. You never really know how well you're going to improve at something, the speed you're going to improve at something. Um, no, no, of course not. So, especially in this minimum and let's let's be honest we may hit our strength numbers but we've got to run a marathon after it and we haven't practiced that so (laughs) who knows what's going to happen yeah i mean we've trained for running but whether we can whether the lifting prior to a maximal is going to affect that or Mm. change any any effects but we started talking didn't we about okay what is the rationale behind Okay, do we need to train running long distance after heavy sessions in the morning to practice the day of the challenge? Or do we not really have enough time to add in that stimulus? Let's just try and get stronger and just try and get better at running and then try and bring it on, bring it together on the day. Um, ultimately, what has happened during these 10 weeks, well, it's about nine weeks now, yeah. has answered that for us because of lockdown. We haven't been able to do that anyway. <laughs> So uh, that has guided our training decisions a little bit. Uh, And we obviously, the last episode of this particular strand of progress theory, uh, we discussed the changes, didn't we, that we were making in regards to how we've had to change training because of lockdown. Um, We're just out by two days. Today is, oh, second day. Today is December the 3rd. 
So there's still not much has changed, but uh, I think we'll be, let's not be too hard on ourselves. I think we're going to improve and we would have improved in two particular areas, which was the aim of this particular challenge. And we did it at a time where it was difficult to train because yeah. the world had just gone crazy. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to do it, mate. Yes. I'm, mate. I'm, I'm optimistic. We're going to, um, we're going to, we're going to do it. It's the marathon, right? It's the marathon that is kind of unknown. Um, and that's, that's, although I think we can drag our asses around it. It, it, it's, 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 that's the unknown part of this because we didn't test a marathon mm. and we, you yourself had never run over half marathon coming into this. So, exactly. uh, and, and now I've run over three half marathon distances <laughs> in the past three weekends. So yeah. it's completely different stress to my body that, you know, it's not used to, used to weightlifting in rugby, you know, short sprints. Sure. Not this long distance no, right, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I've been getting messages on Instagram saying, oh, you've changed. I you've see, changed. I see. I see you put a few of them up, yeah, on that question. Yeah. <laughs> well, based on what we've just discussed, that's kind of what we wanted to continue chatting on about, wasn't it? It was, okay, for this last episode before we have another episode regarding what's going to happen on the day, uh, we were going to, what should we talk about? And the key thing that we kind of wanted to talk about because it was the most unknown was regarding the marathon. And yeah, well, we, we've, we've outlined our marathon training in a previous podcast episode. Everyone go and download that and listen to that. It's obviously very good, but now it's like, okay, those were training decisions based on what we knew we were capable of, but ultimately like what makes a good marathon runner what kind of qualities does a good marathon runner need uh, and we i know um in season one freddie and i had an episode called the determinants of running performance uh, but we kind of tailored that to that particular challenge which was running five and 10k so it'd be interesting interesting to see uh, similar discussions regarding running for a marathon but you know because you're now running longer distances what has now changed um, what key things might be more important so that's probably the aim of uh, aim of today and yeah. i was just before we came on the podcast i was telling daryl uh i'd watched i don't know why i've only just got round to watching it for the first time breaking two which is the um, program where they nike brought together a, no, a number of scientists experts and elite athletes to try and manipulate certain variables to try and ensure that they uh, got a marathon runner in their case it was three but the one they were most confident in was Elliot Kipchoge trying to get him to do a uh, marathon in under two hours and um, it's absolutely fascinating absolutely fascinating one of the key things was when they started going through testing and they're like, okay, you need, we're going to do a half marathon uh, test. You essentially have to maintain this speed to try and get it done in an hour because they tried to maintain the pace. And it's, uh, you know, 21.1 kilometers per hour. And you just think, maintaining that <laughs> for an hour, that's absolutely insane. And you think, oh, wait a minute, that's only half of it on the day that actually you have to do it for two hours. It was absolutely, yeah. it's absolutely crazy. Yeah, the, some of the stats that come out after that were were ridiculous. Even like the four hundred meter times, mm. like what it, what that would be is like for someone for an average person is all is is unreachable. Mm. Um, I don't I, I know I know they were for me. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's, it's insane that the pace mm. um, that that was required there. Yeah, I mean, at a there was a running event, must have been a while back, but they had like one of those huge wide treadmills with soft mats either side. And it, the treadmill belt was running at the pace that you had to maintain to achieve a two hour marathon. And then they got people on it to see how long they would last at that pace. And 
people either couldn't actually get to that speed or they'd last like 10, 15 seconds. It's, oh, wow. it's, abs it's absolutely crazy because that ends up being a speed which is which is way over key things like the lactate threshold, the lactate turn point. It's, it's their uh, 100 meter time where it brings in anaerobic processes where you need yeah. to be so good at running that you're predominantly relying on oxidative processes to maintain that speed output. Mate, absolutely, absolutely yeah, incredible. 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 Yeah, so like these guys, those guys would probably not be able to run the like any faster than that though. That was that is like if you if if I'm I'm right in saying like they would that pace would be almost the maximum pace that they could achieve even in a sprint uh, uh, you, because of the level that they're at. Like in turn, like if you could compare them to say a sprinter, Usain Bolt, he he, he would sprint at at this pace. Um, and slow down to go longer distance. Whereas these guys, they can't get faster as the distance gets shorter. That yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Like you're talking about yeah. the disparity between someone's sprinting speed and someone's sort of steady state speed. Yeah, it's yeah. It's much more close together for the endurance runners than it yeah, is very for close. the sprinter. And I, I wonder if, um, you know, the further away you get from being a sprinter, the more that's that's the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would imagine so, just purely on the energy systems used, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And so what is interesting, though, um, if we think about like the determinants of marathon performance, you've got your VO2 max, so your maximal ability to yeah. utilise oxygen, uh, and your per percentage uh, or your ability to sustain a certain level of VO2 max. Uh, and ultimately, a lot of that will depend on where your lactate threshold is. So uh, if you've got like a set VO2 max, if you're usually the best elite runners will have a lactate threshold point, which is as near to that as possible. Mm. Um, and I think for elite runners, it's normally around the 80 to 90 yeah. percent. Actually, it might be 80 to 85, but I think some uh, studies have found like some interesting almost like a lot anomalies where people like their lactate threshold is about 90 percent of their of their vo2 yes. max which that is, is absolutely crazy and for anyone thinking like okay what is exactly vo2 max i think you probably reach your vo2 max uh during your 3k pace um i think you normally if you're trying to like maximally do your 5k you normally hit around you hit a speed that ends up being around 94 to 98 of your VO2 max. So like 3K is your maximal. If you start going on shorter distances, you'll then speed up and that will require more anaerobic processes rather than oxidative, oxidative processes. Yeah. So the fact that these guys are just so close to that high level means that they can run along without producing an ex exponential release of lactate into the into the bloodstream um at, yeah at real high levels just because their lactate threshold is so high my my yeah. my distance <laughs> is probably my lactate threshold is probably nowhere near my uh my my vo2 max but no it's, it's um, no. um i actually i've actually had mine tested i can't remember it was a while back though when yeah. i did lactate threshold testing and VO2 max. Um, I've got the, I've got the paperwork somewhere, but mm. um, for just, just for the people that don't know what the lactate threshold is, do you want to explain that Phil? Just like, yeah. In. So you, you say you've got, um, you're running at particular paces and <clears throat> there'll be certain paces where they're submaximal. And your ability to produce lactate and your ability to clear it from the bloodstream is pretty much equal. So it's kind of like a steady state. It doesn't increase. But there ends up being like two particular points. One's the lactate threshold and one's the lactate uh, turn point. So normally you get a, a point where you start to see an uh, exponential increase in lactate in the bloodstream. So you like to think, okay, if that happens, that is increasing the stress on the body and it's harder to maintain the steady output. 
Um, and then there's another point in the lactate um, turn point where pretty much anything beyond that is kind of aerobic and uh, lactate because it's uh, sorry it's predominantly anaerobic and because it's predominantly anaerobic lactate further increases even more so ideally you want to have those instances to happen at higher speeds the higher speeds when that happens the more chance you're going to be able to maintain a higher speed uh, for longer um, and ultimately you end up being a better runner yeah and yeah you're essentially much more efficient like metabolically efficient um and what's interesting is like those two key areas are the things that determine your vo2 performance or your ability uh for, to maximize o2 with your oxidative processes and then you've got running economy which ends up taking that vo2 performance or that vo2 ability and it helps maintain like a certain race pace so your running economy would be your ability to run along at a minimal cost. So it's normally measured in mm-hmm. oxidative cost. So if, say we're running along together, um, and my oxidative cost is of a certain level at 10 kilometers an hour, uh, but it's the same as yours at 12 kilometers per hour, you're clearly much more efficient than I am because you are running at a higher speed, but we are expending the same type of energy or amount yeah, of energy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, there's loads of different things that kind of <laughs> influence that. Like, well, we were talking about yeah. that before the podcast, weren't we? We were like, yeah. Um, what, what, what about body type? We're like, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, like, body type. If you look at the um, East African runners, they're, you know, they're quite tall, but they have very long limbs and they just have like an anatomical system which makes them quite economical. And then if you put on top of that, all of the different types of training you potentially do to make yourself a bit more uh, economical. So your ability to act like a spring, because that doesn't come with a metabolic cost, whereas like slow muscle driven (laughs) running strides do come with a metabolic cost because muscle contraction uh, costs energy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Which is which is me all over. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if it's yeah. I, I guess at, to a certain point, it's both of us. And when we get past, there's there's going to be a point where we'll turn, where it'll turn because of that, mm. like our efficiency and our economy on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I heard I um, or I read up recently that. Uh, you end up developing your most a efficient stride at the stride that you practice most at. Or so, for example, if you want your most efficient stride to be your race pace, so if you're having a particular, mm. I want to hit the marathon four hours, so I know I need to cover each kilometer at a pace of 542. That means I need to practice being at that or practice running at that pace because that's going to help develop sort of an economical stride for that. Now, whether you can do that with uh, 11 weeks of training, I'm not sure. I think mechanical processes take a lot longer to develop something that's much more efficient than just 11 weeks, but the theory is kind of there to like just start practicing. <laughs> but, um, Oh yeah. I, I, yes, yeah, that's definitely true. Like, I mean, we, our body does what we tell it to, right? Mm. The more the more we tell it to do something, the more it's gonna it's gonna do it. Um, yeah, yeah. On, a, yeah. on like a neurological standpoint, right? Like we're telling our muscles and our our bodies to move in a certain way. That the more the more they do that, the better they're gonna get at doing it. Mm. Um, so, when when did you have your VO two tested? What, what what did you do? Um, did you have your um? Were you attached to a ventilator and it measured oxygen? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so I had the mask. But I, I don't know what it was back then. It was it was at Portsmouth Uni. Um, oh, brilliant. You can buy, you can pay for the package there. And like, I think the students use it as a bit of a like research practice, whatever it is. But um, yeah, I had the mask and was on the treadmill. But I hadn't ran for a very long time. Mm. 
So this is where like the running economy that we were talking about is would have played a big part on the cost of of that. And had I been running more and been better at it, then potentially could have. I don't know if the scores could have been a little bit different. Who knows? Um, at the time, I was doing a lot of rowing. I don't know if you can do it on a rowing machine. If they did, maybe it would have been a bit. Maybe maybe I would have. Um, I guess it would be very context specific. I've done a VO2 yeah. test um, on uh, a bike. So mm. the same principles uh, are in play there. You either do like a incremental test or you could do some form of time to exhaustion test uh, and you can measure the um, oxygen output or, you know, what you expire, the output of what you expire incrementally and utilize that to try and determine what your VO2 max is. Funny enough, the Garmin actually predicts it. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm this. still trying to find out how they predict it because it will be off the information that you're, it's taken from your body, which most of the time must be the heart rate, your heart rate and the speed that you maintain. The only th- information I could get from it, I couldn't get the calculations, but it did say that it has to get information from you when you are, you've provided it with enough where you're running at certain speeds. So it needs a variety of certain speeds for you to um, give it enough information, which kind of leads to something kind of similar to what a VO2 max test is. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, mine isn't particularly high, but I think it's, um, it's not superb. They've got several categories. Um, I think it's uh, like between good and excellent. And funny enough, my VO2 max, according to my watch, has gone down during this marathon training and i did expect it to because i'm running at submaximal paces which aren't challenging my vo2 max Mm. um so i'm you know i'm not an elite runner that does loads of long distance running but i have a good uh portion of that running which is my high intensity stuff um i'm not running those types of types of mileage And, and because i made the decision with my training to assume that a lot of my high intensity stuff was done in the the previous eight weeks for the 5k challenge um that i did think oh maybe it will start to go down um and and it has because i was uh yeah by three three points so that doesn't surprise me Uh, and my lactate threshold i think has actually gone down as well Funny enough, because I've been yeah. practicing race pace and my lactate threshold, they estimate at around 160 something beats per minute, which is a pace of four minutes 55. Like I, I've been focusing a lot of my efforts trying to be um, economical at the marathon pace. So I'm way away from it. So if I'm not training around that area, I'm not going to be improving it, if you know what I mean. So yeah, yeah I'm not surprised. But uh, I part of me now wants to think like post Christmas, I want to like do whatever I can to up those numbers. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't have to be running. It doesn't have to be ending. I just want to up those numbers. Funny enough, before we had this, I was reading, um, Paul Daniels, um, running formula, mm-hmm. um, Daniels running formula book. And, uh, he actually, he, he's, he's got some programs in there and he uses something, the V dot value, which is he maxes, he mixes VO2 max and paces over certain distances. Like across loads of different runners, he's done this and he's come up with some kind of calculator Mm. um, to explain it or I'd have to read it all to you. But he says in here for on some of his programs that he puts in, uses V dot value that you determine from any recent races or paces that you've done. But marathon race pace should should not be any more than 20% or 18 miles of your weekly mileage. So okay. 20% of your weekly miles or 18 at a top. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just, just having a glance over that. I'm assuming that that'll be why, because you, you're not putting, you're not giving your body enough stress to improve on, mm. improve that VO2 max or, I mean, this is to improve your marathon race eventually, right? But and and to get faster. But 
Um, I think because we've already determined the pace and we've only had such a short period of time mm. to try and actually, we just haven't had that time to improve a predicted time. Mm. So you've only, you can't, you can only go off of and only practice your, the pace that you're going to do, um, especially for yourself, not running over um, <laughs> half marathon. If you're going to, if you were to set, to set yourself something like a free 30, um, it, like I'm sure your VO2 max on your Garmin would have gone up because you'd have, you would have been running a lot faster. Mm and a lot harder throughout this time. And I think a lot of people get this wrong when it comes to training in general. Like to actually create any adaptation, you have to, the stress has to be greater than what you're doing at the moment. Um, uh, some people will just like kind of mince it and then wonder why they're not hmm. getting nothing. Um, yeah, There's definitely a balance there that's needed. You need to, go you know attack the the stimuli that you need and go beyond it mm. to try and develop the adaptation yeah. to perform in the day but at the same time if you did that 100 percent of the time that can be also detrimental and it goes yeah yeah i i, I like the pareto's law you know the you know you get 80 percent of your outcome from 20 percent of your training um and that 20 percent could be the high intensity stuff that you're doing at you know, beyond your lactate threshold pace, uh, around, you know, uh, I'd say between 80 and 95 of VO2 max, um, that sort of thing. But obviously that's not sustainable if you did it all the time. So, but that, those are the key things that are going to make you improve those particular numbers and ultimately probably lead you being a better, being a better runner. Um, yeah. and everything else, the other 80% ends up being that slow, long distance, um, type of running that uh provides the base for this high intensity stuff yeah yeah we was mentioning that before we started don't we that yeah it's, yeah it's important to like i'm not saying that anyone that wants to go and improve in running like to go out and do and to really put some stress on on the systems that they want to improve like i don't i'm not saying that but i mean just in general if if people some people get in stuck into a after a couple of years of training that they just, I don't know. They don't, I see it just with coaching people a lot that you do have to, you've got this far. We, we need to, if you want to get it better, we have to take it at the next step. We have to go that little bit harder. We here and there, not, not constantly, but um, yeah. Yeah. I was reading up um, Elliot Kipchoge's training program and it kind of leads into this. Apparently gets up to around 120 kilometers per week of running and around 40 kilometers of that is the high intensity stuff where you will do intervals of like kilometers or one minutes. Uh, you know, you can go up to like 30, uh, 30 times one minute with, uh, recoveries in between. Um, but, uh, that's, that's insane, but it kind of leads into that roughly what 20 to 25% of his total workload. Mm. And he clearly, like in this uh, Chasing Two uh, documentary, um, one of the key things that they highlighted was that he was like really economical. And you'd have to be economical to be able to tolerate that type of training volume. And if you can tolerate that type of training volume, you can really get a good bout per week of high-intensity work, which is going to take you to that next level. Um, yeah, yeah. Stuff. So almost that other 80... 75, 80% of his is almost like, I want to say recovery, but enabling him to mm. put in those, it's such like the foundations to put in those, um, those harder times. Yeah. 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 I mean, people often see that as other training, but I think you're right in saying it's like recovery. Mm. Like you can't recover if you don't have the base. So it is kind of recovery training. Yeah. 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 It, I, I haven't looked looked at his program, but I'm sure like probably forty percent, fifty percent of that is is extremely easy mm. for his ability to recover and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Help with that base I'd, of the. I'd love to see his program in more detail. 
Mm. I'm referring to what I know from a research paper, which has like one or two lines of what he, what he does. But you know, that's a snapshot of what he probably does week to week, how it changes week to week over the years, over the months. Um, But we, yeah, we absolutely fascinated to see what he does Um, because um, I think with a lot of East African runners, a lot of them just love running. Um, and so they run a lot for the passion of the sport. So when, so all of a sudden, they get to a point where they're at elite standard. If you compare them to the rest of the world, they are like the best of the best, but they haven't really followed real uh, structured training, which has a lot of um, scientific underpinning. They would just just love training and with love and training they did long distance runs they've probably done faster runs they probably had done a lot of different stuff so they've got elements of it but it's less structured um but i don't see that as a problem it's almost like that provides that passion and that huge volume that they did over years has provided them with such a good base to be the best in the world Um, completely and they probably were so aware of like when they could or couldn't run like due to any like if it was hard or if it wasn't like, they probably gained so much so much awareness and just naturally it would have probably fell in that category of 80 yeah. 20. yeah 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 i i hear a lot of um some of the sort of national guys in, in england um if you tell them to like okay try and maintain this pace because this is your easy pace this is your medium pace whatever um they often don't require some kind of technology like a watch they're just so in tune with pacing and how it feels that they can just automatically do it because they go off fill and you can imagine that the the um the kenyan runners the ethiopian runners must be so in tune with that that no wonder they're the best in the world amongst other things Um, yeah but they're just so in tune with their body and how it can work in regards to long distance running I remember watching a, um, it was like a, a TV show where some, like a group of six guys would go and they'd go to like these, these challenges around the world and different. And there was one in Africa where they like, they're just running along, like kicking a little ball, mm-hmm. but like for a, like a hundred miles barefoot. And it's just, they just run along, kick it. And then they all chase the ball and then they kick it and, they just go in and, and it was like a some kind of ritual or, or ceremony thing that they would do. But it's, it's, no, the, the, the guys that would go, they'd have like a strong man. They had a, um, like a bodybuilder. They had like an endurance athlete. They had all these different types of people that would, and you would get a point for the longest okay. you would stay in this challenge. It's got... Um, was and, it, did it have Jacob Hepner in? No, was no, it wasn't. Profiter? No, no, it wasn't any. It was just normal people, like just normal, like no one that was into a massive sport, mm. uh, like like professional, just um, what what they done as almost like a, a bit of fun on the side mm. of their as staying fit and healthy, but. Um, yeah, and it was like a, it was like a challenge across eight weeks. They would go to different places to do these um, tasks that little villages in places mm. like Africa mm. and in the rain, rainforests and stuff like that that would do. Um, yeah, and it was quite quite. It was, this was year. This was like really long time ago. I was like eleven, twelve, but I can remember that quite um, quite well that they were running along, kicking this little ball. Mm. Um, just doing it for the love of running yeah and it, i yeah. think um it showed like some masculinity or something that it's quite it's it's, it's, it's different how, over there like over here people would think like a big muscly strong guy but there, it's based on how fit and how far you can run maybe um, <laughs> social perceptions yeah 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 in different cultures mad with um you know they they, they um, just come from a history of just running for the joy of running. Um, I, I remember you said in one of the previous podcasts where when you decided to join the army, one of the key things that I need to run. So you just, you just started running. There was no, 
um, there wasn't much of like a thought behind it. You just increased the amount of running you were doing and you, you enjoyed it. So you just progressed it even further. Um, and it, it reminds me of, of how East Kenyan runners start off their running career because it's just come from like a, an area of just passion. Um, hmm. Do you feel that, you know, starting off running and not really thinking too much and just going out and enjoying it and not following a particular program has provided you with a very good base for being a better runner now or a better runner when you were, when you reached the army uh, and things became a bit more structured, that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, my, literally my program to begin with, when I knew I was going to join the army, I would go out and I would run a mile and a half because that's all I needed to do. That's what I needed to do to pass. Run, run a mile yeah, and a half, half in in under 10 minutes 30. And I would run that. I'd actually do that twice a day. <laughs> I'd do it in the morning before school, then I'd do it after school. Um, and on top of that, I mean, that's, that's what I was talking about running. But I think in general, if someone is very active in their their younger years of whether that's like football or, or whatever it is um, there's not it's not really no structure into them oh, I'm doing this to get fit or better at this or better at that but I think just being that active and being out and whether that's bike riding playing with your friends you know like just it's going to create some kind of base fitness without mm-hmm. even knowing it yeah. Um, and I, I only if there was like some kind of study from like 15 years ago before two maybe 15 20 years ago before the world of gaming coming <laughs> and you could test at the age of 20 maybe or on when you leave school what what type of fitness you had um, and what the difference is and then maybe you would know how much it, of a base it did provide. I think because you do you wouldn't see it now. You don't see it much now. All I did as a kid was play outside. I'm pretty sure you were the same or you you played your sport of rugby and uh, I would run down to the football pitch and then I'd be playing football and then I'd be running home um, after school. So it was whereas now I think it's a little bit different. I don't I don't see that as often. I might be wrong. I might be totally wrong here, but um, we'll have to get someone that's highly involved with um, youth athletes on. They might know a bit more about how society, society is changing. Because um, you might be right, but it might be a bit more of a uh, gap between you've got those that are really into gaming and hate sport. Yeah. Worse off. And then you've got those that are, because there's more sport and gyms and all sorts of more things available. Maybe they've been, they're even better. I don't know. Uh, that would be an interesting question, though. Yeah, I just mean, if if we're looking like long term, uh, take like triathlon for example. Mm. You, for all of us, I was having this conversation with a friend. Like, you see these people that want to get really good at it, and they're, they're like go full one hundred percent into it, like at a younger age, and they kill themselves. Like, I'm not say kill themselves, but they. Potentially, they could end up they end up burning out because it's so structured, like like what we're doing now. It's so straight down the line, and how hard that gets. Whereas, you see, these older people that enter triathlon as a sport a lot later in life, um, just by doing some exercise and enjoying it, and then they, they're they're flying like they're they're super fast runners, like good in a pool. Um, and I guess that, like, majority of their those East African guys that you were saying, like, just running is a passion of their life. And then I don't know the average, like, how old these are. How old is um the guy that broke the two-hour marathon? Uh, he's uh, he was thirty three at the time of that first two-hour attempt. So yeah, I can't remember so, what year that was in? So he might be around thirty-five, thirty-six now. Um, so yeah, I mean. In terms of time, that's quite long. If if from a young age he's 
just been running as because of a passion. Um, mm. Whereas now read... some people get to the age of 18 or, or 20 and they see this, they want to get, they want to become this professional sports person and they try and attack it. But I just want to say they just haven't had enough. There just isn't enough under the belt. Mm. Um, I did read somewhere that um, because certain adaptations, especially uh, endurance adaptations, I think quite broadly in that sense, mm. uh, take a while to really develop, especially like mechanical efficiency, um, like the key age for being very good at endurance sports seems to be around 33. So like you've got the like uh, team sports, explosive sports, field-based sports, you know, people start reaching or they're seen as going to the end of their careers as they reach towards 30. Whereas the endurance sports, they seem to be picking up um, around 33. It's, yeah, I've read it's 33. And then I read somewhere else saying that the number of years is highly correlated. Number of years running is highly correlated to running performance. Uh, and then obviously it's not like a perfect correlation. There's other factors involved in it. But one of the key things that was important, uh, more so than the total volume done in that period, was the fact that, you know, they spent years and years running and running and running. And that's developed this really efficient stride that's developed the uh, endurance adaptations that is necessary um and that's kind of where a lot of the base is being developed just years and years of running now you could probably fit the same amount of t volume in a smaller smaller time frame so say you had i don't know a certain amount of kilometers run per year over 10 years it's like screw it we're going to do the same amount of volume but we're going to do it in five years you're not mm. going to see the same mm. effect because you haven't allowed the body to sort of take time to adapt as well as it could to the stimulus that you're getting. And probably that hike in training volume might lead to injury. That's a separate discussion, but yeah, just years and years and years of running and running and running seems to be one of the key determinants of performance, especially long distance performance like marathon, especially the marathon, because it is the slower, um, it is adaptations to the like the slow twitch fibers, the more uh, oxidative metabolic uh, adaptations that you need. I did actually did read that uh, you only really start training fast twitch fibers when you reach speeds ninety percent above ninety uh, ninety percent of your VO two max and above. That's pretty fast. Yeah, like what? What is That's that? rapid? Yeah, so you have to be like maxing out your 5K pace to even start incorporating um, fast twitch fibers. So anything below that, you know, you're heavily slow twitch dominant. So anything like all these marathon runners, like slow twitch dominant, and I guess it takes mm. a long time to develop adaptations to those, to those, even though they're slow twitch, but to make them very good slow twitch, you know, it takes time for them to adapt and be very efficient. Yeah, yeah. Um... I, I've always known or had that perception on endurance that it it, it is it's the longer out of the two when we're talking mm. strength and then talking like it's the longer it it's the it's, it is the long game like it is the 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 hours and hours of work that you're putting in over over years and years for it to really. Um, like develop and become good up, but, but it's it's hard in in the way society is. Like, right? mm. everyone wants everyone wants something fast, and <laughs> if you were if you were to cram those ten years worth of volume into five, and if you're not injured, you're definitely going to be absolutely burnt out mentally. Mm. Um, I don't know if you would enjoy it like that. Certain people will, but. Um, that will take a certain kind of mindset, right? To put in five years of effort, even ten, like that's. I think these people done it unnatural, like un. They were unaware that it was actually happening. Mm. Like you said, the like the Africans where they ran just for fun, and it was their 
the way they were. They just they just ran a lot more. They moved a lot more. They just, in general, over years and years and years, without no pressure of a specific structure to it, it just it just happened, and and maybe that is why they're so good at it. Mm. Um, whereas over here, it's, 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 I mean, not just here, but in most places, it is it's kind of a forced. I want to be a good marathon runner. So you've got to do this, this, and this. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know? The, cult- the, the culture's different. Yeah, yeah. Because completely. the, and how the goal's been developed has been different. Yeah. If, um, say you had a client and they have done 5Ks, 10Ks, and like, Daryl, I want to do a marathon, what would be like your one or two? <laughs> key recommendations to them to try and make them a better marathon runner what do you think what do you think the key things people should work on my the the first thing i do even like what i've done for myself i i I accumulate time on if they if they're done to fight, if I mean if they're a conditioned runner, right? Mm. I wouldn't like initially start even like initially start. I probably would if they're a new runner. Like just just start with time. I don't necessarily think at the beginning you need to work. You don't need to worry about pace. So just accumulate some time moving, whether that be a super easy jog or followed by a walk and like that type of stuff. Um, at a lot lower intensities than they would have been used to doing five or 10 K that'd be my first, um, first stage. I would definitely, it would definitely be an accumulation of time instead of distance. Mm-hmm. Um, that's quite an interesting. That's really quite interesting because you can yeah. utilize many variables to try and track progression, but you're very much like a, at the beginning. Okay. We're going to go for time and not distance. Yeah. Um, I think when it comes when it comes to the distance because of just the way people are now they they won't go easy um and I, it's, it's it's almost like a controllable there's a bit of control there like it's a variable i can control the pace because if i say right you're going to go out for this time mm. um if that's it you're going out from you're going out for 90 minutes that's it um i don't care how fast you go you're just going to go out for 90 minutes if you need to have a walk here and there you have a walk um but if i said and that that they might do no 12 13k in 90 minutes 90 90 minutes so an hour and a half but if i said right we've got 12k today and without they they would i I don't know if it's just me and my experience. They would they would go out at too too fast, too early, too hard, um, because it's once this is done, it's over. Uh, that's just my experience. Like, there will be certain people over time where they they really do buy into that, and you could give them target paces, target distances. But mm. initially, the first thing I would. I, I state his time usually. Yeah. Um, and that can be via intervals um, or just a set a set time. You go out and you go really easy for this. Um, no, I think that's, that's, yeah. uh, that's a really smart decision, coaching decision. Yeah. And it's... I, it's you're cool. open to changing how you structure things later out down the, down the line, but like as an initial thing to get them to run at the run at the intensities that you want them to, and not do too much too soon. I think that's really smart. Yeah, or, or too fast. Like if, uh, unfortunately for us, we've had to like kind of we haven't had long enough to build, obviously, other than our past. If we're talking a two-year plan, you might you would you would try and accumulate some kind of base in there, and that that's that's what it would be. Mm. And the majority of their training would be that. Don't get me wrong; there would be a 
there would be some kind of interval or tempo runs added in. Um, but that would be at max, it might be one a week just to begin with. This is, this is all very individual dependent and the person yeah. I've got and the time they have available, but um, that's, that's where I would start. And that's, mm. um, yeah. Oh, cool. No, it's good. It's always interesting to hear people's diff- different strategies for developing uh, a marathon runner, essentially. Like we, we've kind of gone through the scientific underpinning of what makes uh, a top uh, marathon runner. And you've got, you know, the, your VO2 performance, how your VO2 max comes into it, how, where your lactate threshold, your ability to clear lactate, where that comes into it. And then obviously your running economy, that's going to help set your race pace. And, you know, you want a good running economy just so that when you're running at certain speeds, it's not completely draining. You don't have a high energy cost that's associated with it. Um, but ultimately, like you look at that and you think, right, where do we start? So we need to improve these, but really we just need to get some time on feet. And that, yeah, yeah. that's what all the top runners have done. You just need that type top, uh, time on feet because then once you start to get that base you can then incorporate things which are going to improve vo2 max it's going to improve or shift lactate threshold to the right like um but you can't do that until you get that base yeah also creates a massive awareness right Mm. They, they if you could give them a heart rate zone you can give them a pace but there's so many factors that can influence that like whether there's a little bit of an incline or whether there's you got a head on wind, mm. the weather's changed, this person hasn't slept very well. Like just I'll tell you what, just get out. Just go and do this. Just move for 90 minutes, an hour. Um, and then once we've done this for a period of time, then we can go into a bit more specifics that we follow and a bit more structure. But initially this is where we're gonna start. Yeah. Um, That's what and we'll I don't start. I don't think a lot of people like that because it, and I don't, and sometimes I don't like to do that because it's almost like a fob off as a coach. Someone's coming to you. Oh, I want to run a marathon. Um, okay, right. I'm going to go out for 90 minutes. Cheers, mate. Anyone could have told me that, (laughs) you know, it's, um, but people need to understand that that is, that is, almost where you that is where you want to start Mm. that is um and if they if you explain all this to them um and they're willing to to listen like the specifics why then then you're laughing but it is it is it's very difficult i find to initially be like that with someone no Uh, i can imagine But at least as long as they're aware that that is the starting point. And then, you know, if they are, you know, they probably want to get to the, the higher intensity stuff, even if they enjoy that a little bit more, they understand its role it's playing. If uh, it's added on to or infiltrated into a program, which built uh, based on the fact you've developed a good foundation of sort of just time on feet. Yeah. That's, you know, that's, that's why when you're like, going to start seeing those metrics even if you've got a garmin that's when you're going to start seeing the metrics go up but ultimately you've got to earn the right to try and challenge those metrics yeah yeah literally it is earn the right i think that's a quite a good quite a good um quote that to hmm. start with anything when it comes to training hmm. no certainly right mate cool. mate we hit the hour nice. hang on mate So we'll carry on with our marathon training. I'm sure that's something that we want to see the back of, but it's, I I find it hard, but at the same time, I find it incredibly fulfilling because it's something that I've always wanted to do and just say I can do it. And there's so many challenges that I want to, to get involved with. And ultimately a lot of them involved a strong aerobic base. And if I'm capable and have the physical capacity to knock off a decent marathon, then that's providing the base to do all sorts of challenges. So exciting stuff. Exactly, mate. Cool. 
We'll gun it. Brilliant, mate. Cheers, yeah, Matt. Let's speak to you soon. Mate. See you soon.